the rich or poor. All alike me, you know. No wealth, no land, no silver, no gold. Nothing satisfies me but your soul. Haunting words sung by the one and only Dr. Ralph Stanley, as heard in the classic film, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Living in the South, this movie is considered a treasure, and for all of its absurd moments, there is a quiet brilliance presented. And for this episode, I was happy to be joined by Christopher Merritt, a film connoisseur and friend of the podcast. Be prepared for major movie spoilers as he shares his vast knowledge of the film, and we share our personal takeaways of this beloved classic. Thank you for listening to Weird Appalachia. I'm Erin, and today I'm joined by Christopher Merritt. Hello. I'm an instructor at Moorhead State University. I teach uh, mainly freshmen, the freshman classes in the communication department and also in the film studies minor. And today we're going to talk about Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Which is uh, such a good film. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's a Coen Brothers film. And like I'm a giant Coen Brothers nerd. It's probably it's not I wouldn't I can't say it as my favorite film, but it's definitely one of the treasures of their catalog. Yeah. Well, when I even like mentioned talking about doing this episode, my man was like, "You have to get Chris Merritt because he's like movie connoisseur anyway, and I know the Coen Brothers are like your fave." Oh yeah, that's my it's the, the Coen Brothers is my red wine. <laughs> like I, I love the Coen Brothers. I've seen um, we was just talking about Wes Anderson before. Uh, that's like a Bordeaux. The Coen Brothers, <laughs> like that, that one I go, I know all their films. Like, yeah. I, I'm missing some Wes Anderson, but the Coen Brothers, I know all of them really well. Yeah. I don't think there's anyone I've seen all their movies ever, but, you know, the joke is Aaron hasn't seen any movies except for, like, these two that I always talk about on the podcast, <laughs> which no one else has seen. But, I mean, if they listen to the podcast often enough, they know the whole plot because I've talked about it so much. What movies are you talking about? Uh, one's Art School Confidential. Seen it, yeah. Oh, finally somebody's yeah. seen it. And I enjoyed it. Uh, Untitled is the other art movie I talk about a lot. That one I can't say that I have seen. But I have seen Art School Confidential, and I, I do remember enjoying it. Yeah, I love that movie. Does that have Gina Malone? Is that Gina Malone? I don't know people's names. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure she was in it, and I forget the... Forget the other guy, the guy, like the main character guy. Yeah, I don't know. The guy from, um, oh my god, I'm, listen, I'm gonna sound so stupid right now, but the guy who plays Randy on My Name is Earl is in it. Oh, yeah! The film student. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, what is his name? He was in, he was, he was in, one, in the Kevin Smith movies. Yeah, he's just Randy to me now. I hate, <laughs> I hate to admit that. <laughs> god, My Name is Earl was so good. <laughs> Not nowhere near a Coen Brothers. <laughs> no, it's like the Coen Brothers are like the they they I mean they're kind of the like you look at this movie and you look at My Name Is Earl, they're kind of like the same class of people. But you watch yeah. you watch uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou and it's artful and it's classy, and then you watch My Name Is Earl and you're like, oh, I'm ashamed of where I'm from, <laughs> but also weirdly proud. It's like when they have a cops episode and they're like, our cops is on. <laughs> <laughs> that's totally realistic though that's totally how it happened I mean, but yeah no, you said it was like two different classes Coen Brothers and then my name is Earl Coen Brothers well I think it was uh, Delmar uh, Tim Blake Nelson from Oh Brother Where Art Thou that, that said that uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou is the is the how do you put it oh, I forget how he said it but he, he was basically saying it was like the hillbilly or no, it was John Turturro. It was a hillbilly action comedy. Yeah. 
<laughs> like, and that's totally, or a musical, a hillbilly musical action comedy. Well, yeah, I guess it does actually qualify as a musical because characters are singing. Well, that's, uh, in the the sound design section of my film class, that's where I would show a Brother Where Art Thou yeah. as a musical. This is my example of a musical because I thought they would like it because nobody likes musicals. God, I love musicals. Uh, I, I like some, but the kids don't. Like, yeah. they don't like how it, people just break into song, you know, unrealistically. But in Oh Brother, they the, they put they layer the music in realistically. It's part yes. of the story. It makes sense. It makes sense. And the soundtrack, I mean, you can't talk about the movie and not talk about that soundtrack. No. Which I owned an actual physical CD of back in the day. I actually bought it. I actually had, I bought it before the film came out. Because uh, even back then, I was, I was already a Coen Brothers nerd. Uh, in, in 1999, because um, of Raising Arizona, yes. um, Fargo, which is amazing, and then let's see what after, after Fargo was the Big Lebowski. So like I was already a Cohen's fan, so I was pumped for Old Brother, mm-hmm. and I remember I, I bought the CD. I was ready for it, and in the CD, in the in the sleeve, it actually says based on the Odyssey. So like I was, all, I was like, this is all based on the Odyssey. How yeah. do they turn a hillbilly move into the Odyssey? <laughs> Or how do they take the Odyssey and turn it into a hillbilly movie? So like I was ready for it to come out, and so like I, I know like you talk you wanted to like talk about like a reaction like kind of like an Appalachian area reaction to this film. Yeah, I can give you a story. Back in two thousand, before the, the the film I think released in December of two thousand, uh, to limited release, and they always release Oscar pictures in the winter mm-hmm. because uh, that's the closest like they review films in a year. So they always wait till December to throw Oscar pictures out to make yeah. it pe- to keep it fresh in people's yeah. mind. So when they vote on the Academy Awards in the spring, uh, it's fresh in their minds, right? So they release it in the spring, and I was like, okay, they're releasing it to a limited release. I'm not going to get to see it until it comes out on VHS. For those that don't know what VHS is, <laughs> oh, it was yeah. these things that you <laughs> that had uh, that had actual physical tape in them, oh, and it played a movie on a tube television. For those of us that don't know what a tube television <laughs> I feel really old. Oh, yeah. gosh. Yeah, and, and the, you had the joy of if you wanted to watch it again, you had to rewind that shit. Yeah, yeah, you had to wait. You had to wait like five minutes for that, that thing to rewind. So, like, I, had, I knew I was going to have to wait for it to come out on VHS to watch Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? So I bought the soundtrack in anticipation it was already kind of getting play. Um, yeah. I mean, a constant sorrow was yeah. already getting getting airtime on the radio and stuff. It hadn't blown up yet, but it was I, the CD was out and I bought it through word of mouth, mm-hmm. and uh, and it, it didn't do critically well. Like, oh brother, I, even today I went and checked before you all arrived on Rotten Tomatoes. It's still sitting at seventy seven percent from the critics. Yeah. And it didn't review well when it came out either. Um, but in in contrast, the audience score is eighty nine percent. Yeah. So it's much more beloved than the, than it was a critical success. So like through word of mouth and like uh, just people going to see it, it started getting a little following, a cult following while in the theater. So it started yeah. opening to more and more markets. It came to Prestonsburg, Kentucky, and that was like I, I was like I immediately had to go and see it. So I went and watched it in Prestonsburg, thinking I would be like the only person in the audience. Mm-hmm. But it had such appeal to people in this area. It was a sold out show. <laughs> it was a sold out show, and the majority of people were probably forty or older. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, it, it, it reached an audience that is not the film-going audience. They wow. usually, like, market movies to people that are between 15 and 35 years old. Yeah. That's the market. Uh, men, women, doesn't matter. 18 to 35, that's what they're shooting for. So, it was all, like, people that was 40 years old and older. And the audience, like, just, they loved it. It slayed. It killed everybody. Yeah. But it, the, when you watch it, and if you, if you know a little bit about, like, old Hollywood and classic Hollywood film, um, that's how classic Hollywood films were made. It has this essence of classic yeah. Hollywood film, and that's what they're steeped in. That's what the Coens are steeped in, classic Hollywood film. Old Brother is that. Yes. It's like a Ma Paul Kettle movie. Um, without making fun of it. Without making fun of it. No, yeah. it's totally genuine. It's authentic. Uh, and if I remember right, Ethan, uh, he even said that the movie, Oh Brother, Where Aren't There, is actually based on Wizard of Oz. That's where they got the general idea from. And that's where the, actually the clan comes in. The clan scene is actually uh, a, a, a throwback to the, do uh, you remember the guys at the at the uh, witches, the guards at the witches, the, oh, yeah. oh, we, they, yeah. that's the same chant that the clan does in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Okay. I don't think I even picked it. And that's what they modeled. (laughs) They modeled that that scene after the Wizard of Oz. Wow. Yeah, for real. That's wild. So, like, it it is another one of those, like, love letter to classic Hollywood. Yeah. And that's why I think it's, that's why it did so well in this market, in this area. That's why the soundtrack did so well, because it was old, old old-timey music that these people grew up with. And I come from a family of people who, especially, like, my sister at the time love bluegrass music yeah and it's like so strange that people are so like oh i you either like folk or you like bluegrass you can't like both but to me <laughs> that soundtrack was more folk yeah it was it's uh, old-timey music like they even say it's this is like old-timey it's like uh um it's kind of like a sub-genre it's not it's what bluegrass came from yes uh bluegrass was started from the earl scruggs that metallic banjo picking yeah. style what you see in this film and what you hear in this film is like the the uh, what came before bluegrass. This is what inspired bluegrass music. Yeah. Um, and it actually revived that genre, that old time stream music. I don't know if you've ever heard of Old Crow Medicine Show. Yeah. They were kind of popular. Like yeah. they had a niche audience, but after Old Brother came out, they blew oh, up. Oh, yeah. That was a McGoffin County thing. Yeah. Like yeah. Big time. Uh, wagon wheel was <laughs> yeah, everywhere. It was everywhere. Yeah. You can't have a show called Weird Appalachia and not know Ocrobison show. <laughs> but their music actually reached a broader audience because of yeah. Old Brother Where Art. And I, I still listen to Mountain Stage out of West Virginia, and and it's just it's youngins. It's and I'm I'm almost forty. I can say youngins now. <laughs> it's young. It's people that are 18, 20 years old mm. playing old string music. And, like, the guy will interview them. So, like, where did you pick up stream music from? They're like, oh, brother, where art thou? Every episode. Every episode. I just heard it last weekend, listening to Mountain Stage. I'm so happy to see that, like, I mean, we live in a world that is just, like, controlled by smartphones to see someone actually carrying forth something that's a heritage. What's, I don't know if it's sad or not, but a lot of these people come out of Berkeley, out of California. (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's, okay. it's people that are not in this area, you know, still making that music. And yeah. actually, Jillian Welch, she was on the soundtrack, who's on Oh Brother, Where Art Thou soundtrack. She's actually in the movie. If you remember the scene, it's when the Soggy Bottom Boys records out, mm-hmm. and like they're showing like, it's like a little montage scene where like people are going and like 
We yeah. may want to buy the Soggy Bottoms. She's at a Woolsworth. She says, I want the Soggy Bottom record. And they were like, we're all sold out. Yeah. That was her. That was Jim Lee Rich. Okay, yeah. She's on the album. And she's like a New York-based musician who makes <laughs> string music. We have such a rich and beautiful culture here. And it's like this. And people love it. Yes. And it makes me really sad to see any time we're represented most of the time, it's super negative. And to see it done so positive here was amazing. Just, I mean, it's not necessarily Appalachia. It's Mississippi. It's Mississippi. It's the South. It's the South. Yeah. Um, I feel like here we have a great thirst to be represented well in oh, the media. Yeah. And it, people it's get rare. close. They get close. This one did it well. I feel like a lot of the times everyone just focuses on all the negative stuff. And this film, I mean, it's set in like Depression era. Yeah, the Dust Bowl, yeah. And you would think, if you just heard, like, if you just saw the visuals, which I mean, the Coen brothers, you know, they're visuals. I don't know all of their movies, but I could just about pick them out just based on like. Oh, they have posters. a style. Yes, the visual style. It's yeah. so good. Well, it's it's very like I said, it's it's very classic Hollywood, but tilted. Yeah. Like tilted in this really quirky way. Yes. Yeah, I guess it, I mean like not to like put it to shame, but it's got like a hipster esqueness to it. Like, That's them. Yeah. That's totally them. If <laughs> Joel, I I was just looking at Joel Cohen's picture the other day. And he kind of looks like Tim Burton. And I mean, like, <laughs> Tim Burton's like the ultimate hipster. Like, yeah. he's hipster before hipster was hipster. So, like, yeah, if, if, you, if you look like <laughs> Tim Burton, yeah. Ethan, not so much. He just looks like a little nerd. <laughs> but together, you get the Coen brothers. So, like, their style it is... Uh, I, the only way you can describe it is cinematic. And, like, in the 90s... So, I, I, I have a, a uh, particular distaste for a lot of 90s movies... Because they don't look cinematic. Yeah. There's a look that came out in the 90s that's cheap looking. And it was because of television. Um, television mm -hmm. is shot with a, this this three camera style where all cameras are running at the same time. And then you yeah. can cut, right? And it's cheap. A lot of like, even like, even like Silence of the Lambs. Something I, I still enjoy and will go back and watch is shot that way. Except for certain shots. Yeah. Like, there is some cinematic uh, stuff in Silence of the Lambs. But if you look at a Coen Brothers film, even in the ones in the 90s, it was epic. Even these small little pictures, something like The Hudsucker Proxy, which is one of my favorite Coen Brothers films, is shot with this grandiose, epic style. Yeah. And it's really cinematic and it's beautiful. Uh, and it's classic Hollywood, but just like I said, tilted on its mm -hmm. on its side a little bit. That's, I, that's the thing I appreciate the most about their films. Like they're, I mean, they're well-made, obviously. Like they, they, yeah. they put every ounce, like every little detail um, is thought about and deliberate. And that's, it's in spades. And Old Brothers probably one of their first where they started getting into like uh, digitally manipulating their films. Because okay. they shot it in Mississippi in the summertime when everything was green. But if you look at it. Uh, that doesn't fit. That's, no, it, it that's looks, not the tone of that movie. Not at all. It's gold. Because it's supposed to be like in the Dust Bowl in the Depression era. Yeah. So it needed to look, and it's kind of sepia tone to give it that uh, uh, old feel. Yeah. That old look. And they scanned it. Like they scanned the film, put it in a, in a digital editor, and like they, they color graded it that way. Oh, like frame by frame? Frame by frame. Damn. Yeah. That's crazy. I feel like if you're just looking at the visual style of this film, the concept, the loose concept of, you know, prisoners escaping and trying, and everything that goes wrong. It seems so bleak. 
You would think it would be the most depressing movie. You probably wouldn't even watch it just based on that. But it's so lighthearted. It's absurd. Oh yeah, that is some. That is another <laughs> trademark of yes. Coen Brother films. <laughs> There's probably only one movie in their entire catalog that's not absurdist. Um, no Country for Old Men, mm. and that's because of the, the book that it's based on. Yeah. Every other film of theirs is at least somewhat absurd to all the way yeah. absurdist. And this is definitely one of those absurdist things. There's always they're they're cartoony, yeah. Which is but in a beautiful way. Yeah, yeah. It like it just works so good, or so well, I should say. It works so well. It works, works so, so good. well. So good. It works so good. Hey, we're talking about old brother. It's so okay. good. Yeah. I'm talking about they are. I'm with you, fellers. <laughs> what I mean, you, you said it's a musical, and you know, it, it is didn't, definitely it didn't really dawn on me that it is a musical. But the film class I took at Big Sandy Community and Technical College. Give us money, please. Um, <laughs> a musical is defined as a, a movie where characters sing, but in social situations. Yeah, they, 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 they will just kind of break out in yeah. song uh, in, in like the middle of a scene. That's like the trademark of a, mm. the classic musical. Uh, but Old Brother is definitely, I mean, like I, I count it as a musical. There's enough... Because the music is integral to the the, the yes. movie, to the plot of the movie, like it gets the three characters where they need to go. Yes. You know what I mean? Like um, it tells a story just the music alone. Because you said you bought the soundtrack before the movie released. Yeah. That's the order. That's yeah. the film order on that album. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the way the tracks fall. And, yeah. And those scenes are set around those songs, and it it just works so beautifully. Well, it, it just uh. For some like interesting stats, the soundtrack did commercially better than the film did. <laughs> um, it uh, it won album of the year for the Grammys. Mm-hmm. It won album of the year. It won best soundtrack, and it was number one uh, on the Billboard charts. Sixty three weeks after the film premiered, wow. like it stayed on the charts for that long and rose to number one. Wow! Um, a year and a half. After it was already, the film was gone out of theaters. So like the, the soundtrack, um, my grandfather had it. Like he had it on 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 uh, CD. Yeah. My mom and dad had it. I had it. Um, somehow I ended up with two copies of it. Actually, no hell. I ended up with two copies of it. Um, Somebody said Merritt would like this. So yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it got you another one. When it, it actually made me pick up the banjo. Like, I took banjo lessons because yeah. of this and then, like, a documentary that I worked on with uh, with um, a colleague here about a, a, a dude named, named Banjo Bill Cornett out of uh, out of uh, Hindman, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So, like, the but old brother was, like, the genesis of that. It, yeah, it I introduced can see that. It's string music. Musically. Yeah. It introduced string music to me. When I should have had it as like an education, in, you know, like as a kid, yeah. I should have known about it, but I didn't. You was talking about like the culture here. When I was a kid, may probably in high school, I kind of rejected the culture oh, we here. All did. Uh, we yeah, all did. We rejected it because it we were judged by it. Yeah, the outside world would would look at us as dumb, stupid, barefoot, and pregnant hillbillies. So I did everything. I did everything I could to not act like that. I think we all did and, that, to and totally extent. rejected it. When I, when really the the culture is not that, you know, yeah. this what this movie was showing is this is more of like the real culture. It's like it's sure it's simple people, 
but they're not necessarily stupid. Yeah, we're, they can, we're smart people. We just talk like banjos. Yeah, well, yeah, and, 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 and can play those banjos, yeah. you know, and play them well uh, and make them sing and, and make beautiful music with it. That's what it's about. It's Well, I mean, our music is, like you said, our music is, is and our culture is so inspiring that people are coming from far away. From New York and California to, to emulate it. Yeah. Yes. And this is what, this and this movie is another, is one of the reasons why it's, it's kept alive and stayed alive. Like yeah. I said, those people are referencing Old Brother as an inspiration to pick up a guitar, a banjo, or a fiddle. You know, so it's it, it, this movie's integral in that. It's amazing that its impact is, has lasted that long. Yeah, twenty years, and it's still people are still referencing it. Yeah, That's wild to me. Well, I can't show it in my class anymore. Like I, I try to introduce kids to new films and films they've never seen. Yeah, everyone has seen that one. Like it's still alive and, yeah. and it's still breathing in this area. In this area, I don't know if it is everywhere, but I know yeah. it is here. Well, I, I mean, it's kind of a classic at this point. And twenty it years is later, 20 it does years. not seem like it's been twenty years. Not at all. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess I, I was I was an actual child when it came out, and I, truthfully, I loved the movie when I saw it back then. But I don't. Maybe I wasn't like I don't want to say smart enough, but like mature. Maybe not mature enough to like fully absorb it for what it was. I, it works. It, so, like, it's kind of like a, a Pixar movie in that it has layers. Yes, yes. Like yes. a kid can... There's stuff in it that a kid can uh, yeah. like and then there's you stuff... You can follow it, but yeah. you can't absorb everything. Well, the, the music is an, it, uh, would draw a kid in. Yes. Um, the cartoony behavior of uh, of Everett and, yes. and Delmar. Yes, oh, every Pete. character, really. Yeah. Well, yeah. I Even mean, they're all like that. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, focus on just the music, but the music is such a huge part of it that you have to talk about it a lot. If you go scene by scene, I mean, they're kind of laid out the way they are on the album. Yeah, yeah. And that opening scene of the, like, the chain, chain game, game and the yeah. escape and the Paul Lazarus song. Oh, yeah, the, so the, the song, that, um, the, what you hear in the movie, that's an actual chain game. They found old audio of a chain game. Really? Yeah, and that's what they used for that, uh, for that opening scene. That, the, the rocks hammering and yeah. them singing. That's an actual chain game. Wow. I didn't knew that. I love that kind of attention to detail in something though. That's a, that's that's a Coen Brothers, yeah. Oh, you know this makes a lot of sense to me because I used to be in this group called Big Sandy Singers, and we used to do sh- shows at the college, and we were going to do a gospel show, and our director wanted us to do say, sing sing an old regular Baptist song, and we sang it, and everyone was trying to sing it in harmony and sing it pretty, and it was not working. It did not work. And finally, someone spoke up and said, it's not working because it don't sound like an old ring of the Baptist. You need, like, three people singing off key. <laughs> yeah. No yeah. harmony. Everyone just sings. Yeah. And instead of doing it the way we were doing it, we decided to just have everybody in the audience stand up and sing it with us, and it worked. It sounded like an old regular Baptist song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes the magic is... Oh, you gotta, is, it's got to be real. Yeah. It's the realness of it. Yeah. Especially like in churchy stuff like that. Yeah, I, I know, and I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Where you have this lady over here singing off key. Somebody's trying here. to do harmony but doesn't quite know how yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or their harmony's so loud they're drowning out like. Oh yeah. Help you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you don't have that, no brother. Like it's it, the music was really real well produced. Yeah, it really was. The Allison Krauss stuff. I I, I always loved her. I think her voice is just angelic. Oh, yeah. She was one of my favorites. I really like Alice. Her songs on that were really good. Down to the River to Pray. That's like one of those super standout. Like you think of Old Brother, you think of Down to the River to Pray, and you think of 
man of constant sorrow, period. But if you've watched the movie enough, you hear that song and you just see that scene playing out in your head. All the white robes yeah. walking through the woods, going down to the river. And Delmar running, <laughs> running down to get baptized. <laughs> the preacher done washed my sins away. <laughs> I love... Okay, let's talk about the char- the characters themselves for just a second. Everett. Ulysses and, Everett McGill. Oh my gosh. He is absolutely one of the most interesting characters I've ever seen in anything, probably. He's that motor mouth guy who thinks he knows everything. He uses big words that you're not quite sure if he really even knows what he means, but he throws a lot of big words at you to try to confuse you like a salesman. And, and George Clooney was perfect to yes. play that role. Yes. Like it was tailor-made for uh, George Clooney. And, you know, he just happened to be smart enough to find himself to um, not quite as in, in intelligent people to boss around. No, I'm not saying that the characters were dumb men, but they followed his lead a lot. Because they just assumed he was smarter than them. And Well, like, Pete was skeptical. Yeah, he did He did voice it a lot. Yeah, because he did that, uh, who made you leader of this here outfit? But he never did overthrow him, so I guess he always kind of had that doubt that... Well, I think it was he was motivated by the money. That's what made <laughs> Pete. True. Because he did, he did follow him, because he only had, uh, what, two weeks left on his sentence or something? No, it's so terrible. <laughs> like it was something small. I, have, I, I, I think it was like two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And then... Uh, and poor Delmar, he, he was like so gullible. Like yeah, nobody he was. Dumb, he was just so gullible. Yeah, he was he, he was totally a follower. That's how Tim Blake Nelson uh, like painted the picture. He was like, he's a follower. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he definitely was. Like the part where they're arguing about who should be in the lead, he's like, I'm, I'm with you, fellas. <laughs> I mean, I, I vote for yours truly. And I vote for yours truly, too. I'm with you, fellas. <laughs> so, and I, yeah, it's been a while since I've actually watched it. Uh, admittedly, I, I did not watch it in prep for this. But I can still like, oh, quote right. lines from her characters. <laughs> I mean, the, they actually play uh, Man of Constant Sorrow twice in the film. Once in the recording studio. Which I always love Yeah, that was the acoustic version. Yeah. That Tommy Johnson ended up playing for him. That's when... <laughs> That's they picked up Tommy Johnson, who's like an analog for Robert Johnson, sold a soul to the devil. Yeah. And they played in the can. Played in the can. I'm always fascinated to see, because I've been a professional singer most of my life. I've been in the recording studios. I'm always super interested to see these old movies that show how they used to do yeah. it. Like, it was so much harder back then. You messed up, you gotta start over. Start over. Or, <laughs> I can't talk. A lot of times they would just keep the mistake uh, yeah. in it. Yeah, if it was minor enough to like not have to redo the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Well, and that was something cool. They actually recorded the music for that song um, in an old... Like, they, they, they used mics from the 20s and 30s. Yeah. Uh, and they did it in that style where people would have to lean into the mic. Um, they didn't mic every instrument and all the voices. They had to do it like they would have recorded it in the 30s. Yeah. So that album is recorded like they would have recorded it in, like, the 30s. Yeah. That kind of attention to detail is so important. And it makes the difference because that soundtrack's amazing. Yeah, and it sounds it sounds uh, historic. It sounds old. It does. Um, but seriously, like, the, one of the best parts of the whole movie is just watching them lean into that mic. Yeah. And saying, because they're... They're such good actors. It, it's so it's real. Like, it looks real. <laughs> They're so hilarious to watch. Just their facial stuff yeah. alone. It's <laughs> very, and it's very, it's very cartoony. It's, it's, you, you want, to, you want to, to think it's exaggerated, but I can't, I mean, 
I would the way I imagine they, they those people recording back then. Mm-hmm. That's how I would imagine them doing it. Yeah. You know, to get to get those crazy. So that's like this old time music. You always you always hear like archivists and I took some classes at the Kentucky Center for Traditional Music and uh, Jesse Wells, who's a well well known performer in the state for the, he's a multi instrumentalist. He can play anything mm-hmm. he he talks about the the sound of old-time music because that's what he plays yeah um and the, the style the, the singing voice he always says it's the old lonesome sound yeah and it's that high-pitched almost nasally sound the the guy that did old, a man of constant sorrows dan Tominsky, he's actually like a blues country blues style singer so he didn't really capture it, but like every other song on the album, aside from like Tommy's song, the the blues track, yeah. it has that, yeah. and it's steeped in that old lonesome, high nasally sound. Alison Krauss, on the other hand, I guess she doesn't really do it either. Her voice is more like it. She has like this an- angelic. Yeah, but she's like as bluegrass as you get. Yeah, in yeah. bluegrass, especially with women, they want the highest pitched, finest yep, voices they yep, can find. Yep. She, she's very that. And it needed a female presence. Because, like, okay. I don't want to get, like, all tied up on that. But the female presence in that movie is very small. Yeah. Well, the, the cool thing is, though, is Penelope, or it's not it's not Penelope. Penelope's in the Odyssey. Penny, mm, yeah. uh, Everett's wife, is strong. Yes. The, the ones that are there are. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're presences. They, they make a statement. But... In contrast to like all these crazy dudes in this movie, <laughs> yeah, and that's that's also a trope of the Coen Brothers. Like all, aside from like Fargo, usually they're they're male characters. It's they're usually male dominated films. Yeah, um, but they usually have somewhere in there uh, a, a, a strong female. Like in the Big Lebowski, you have Maud. You have these like strong female characters that um, are usually outsmarting the guys. Yeah, usually. Uh, but in Vargo, she's like the main character. She's the detective. You yeah. know, she's the one that like uh, solves the case and everything. But uh, they 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 tend to be male dominated. Yeah. But there's usually a strong female character in there. But uh, I guess it's like that implicit egotism. If it's males making the movie, yeah, they're gonna have male characters. You know, I mean, it's probably hard for a a, a male filmmaker to tell a female story. Cause it's... Yeah, I, it probably would be because I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to do it, screw it up, and then. Yeah, get, you know, it's a it's a unique experience. <laughs> I, no doubt. But that's the problem is there's 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 not a, there's not enough uh, they're not giving enough money to female directors. Mm-hmm. You know, if they would take some chances, then they could have more female voices in mm-hmm. there. I think that's. I mean, it is changing. It's it's, been it is. But... Yeah, it's it always totally been acknowledged, and it's <laughs> it is. There's more of a change. You're seeing more female directors come out. Um, Lady Bird was a good one from last year. Oh, yeah, Greta Gerwig. To go on a tangent. <laughs> this and this podcast is nothing but tangents most of the time. I don't know if I want to go sing by scene or anything, but the real important ones, like uh, the the three singing sirens in the river, that's such a good scene. I it's mean, memorable. <laughs> oh, that's another one of the Odyssey scenes. Yeah, because uh, I mean, like not everything. I'll say, let's talk about that. Uh, that's that's a good uh, segue into that. Again, they. They wanted. They started out with an idea of just three guys escaping from uh, um, the chain gang, mm-hmm. and uh, ultimately they just wanted to go home. That was the original idea. And as they started writing it, what's the ultimate 
a blueprint of a guy trying to get home, mm-hmm. and they thought of the Odyssey. So, like, they went out and uh, they never read it. Like, they to this day, they still haven't read the Odyssey. <laughs> like, they went out and wa- they bought the comics <laughs> version of the Odyssey, and they watched an old version of the Odyssey film, uh, and that was it. Like, they didn't, they never did re- read it. Actually, only Tim Blake Nelson that played Delmar, the dumbest one in the movie, he's the one that actually read it because he has a a, a degree in classics liter- classical literature. What? So he's wow. the only one that had read the Odyssey. That's amazing. Yeah. So when they say it's loosely based on the Odyssey, it's it's really yeah. loosely based on on the Odyssey. Like, uh, anyone who's familiar with the Odyssey, you watch it, you see those things. Yeah. You know well, it immediately. Yeah, you, Ulysses. Everett McGill, Ulysses is another version of of uh, Odysseus. Mm. Um, his wife Penny is Penelope from yeah. the Odyssey. Um, you have the siren scene, yeah. and in that scene, like one of them gets turned into a toad. Oh, and yeah. In the Odyssey, the one part. of <laughs> uh, one of the Odyssey characters gets turned into an animal. I forget which animal, but it's not yeah. it's not a frog. God, that part. Was... When I watched it as a kid, I swear that I guess that kind of stayed with me because. It, it was so ridiculous. The the siren scene or the... The, the really horny Yeah. I love then it. see him in the theater. We thought you were a toad. <laughs> Do not seek the treasure. And they both can't understand each other. They just keep repeating it. <laughs> and get louder and louder. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I mean, I could take that angle of, oh, there's only so many women and three of them are sexualized. But they're really not that sexualized. I mean, yeah. Well, that's kind of their point. They yeah. were using their their sexuality as a uh, weapon. Yeah. Like that's the whole point of the siren. In and the they first were place. very covered up, very tasteful, and they weren't like all sexed up. They were just some pretty ladies sitting out in the water. And that's how they captured Pete. That's how the when that's the the, the character like the sheriff character. Um, he's nowhere like in the Odyssey. Like he's the, somewhere in the Colin Brothers movie. There's always the devil. Like an actual representation of the devil. Yeah. Uh, in Raising Arizona, it was the the bounty hunter. Um, in Hudsucker Proxy, it was the, the custodian. Like there's always a representation of the devil, some like a devil and an angel, or like a devil and God. Yeah. Um, you know, brother, the sheriff is the representation of the devil. Yeah. Even Tommy Johnson describes him in that one scene. He's like, no, no, sir, the devil's white. As white as you fellers. Yeah. And he has eyes as black. And if you remember seeing him, he has like those dark yeah. sunglasses on. And he carries a hound. And he has a hound throughout the whole movie. Um, so he actually, Tommy Johnson sold his soul to that guy, to that to that sheriff. Because he's the representation in the, in the of the devil in that film. Yeah. So like, yeah, when they say it's loosely based on the Odyssey, it's loosely based on the Odyssey. Because they still have like the Coen brother tropes. Yeah. Like that representation of the devil. So, like, he uses the sirens, you know, to, like, lure, to, is a trap. Yeah. So even though, like, yeah, they were sexualized, it was, you know, they were using their sexuality as a weapon, as a means to an end to yeah. get Pete. Um, <laughs> and then they, like, they, they, well, they capture them all. And I always wondered why, like, they didn't just go ahead and take all of them when they had, they just took Pete. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but, well, they, you couldn't finish the film, that's why, but... <laughs> that would have been the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um, uh, the the clan scene. I don't even know how else to describe it as other than the clan scene. I know. 
I'm sure, and you know, we live in this climate right now of everyone's offended by everything, but that was so important to the films and to the point that it had, I mean, we have to talk about it. But Well, yeah, it, that's, that's at the part of the film where, like, every storyline kind of intersects. Mm-hmm. Um, because at that point, Everett and the gang hadn't really uh, met up with Pappy O'Donnell yet. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they had almost crossed paths when they were singing into the can, because they were leaving. Yeah. And uh, Pappy was coming up to do his Pappy O'Donnell uh, flower hour, whatever it's called. The clan scene is definitely like it's it's a it's a linchpin in the in the narrative uh, because this is where the three main characters intersect um, with uh, governor's election. Uh, it also wraps up and ties up the loose end with the quote unquote Cyclops and Big Dan Teague, mm-hmm. um, and it brings up. It ties up the loose end with Tommy Johnson, who just kind of randomly disappears at the beginning, you know, like in the earliest yeah. parts of the film. Um, some guys show up, and he just, you hear Delmar say he upped and ran off because um, he was afraid he was going to get lynched. Yeah. I love the, not to interrupt you, but I love the way that they say, they just spell it out, run off. Oh, yeah. Are you in OFT? I love that. And it, I mean, it all comes from uh, some of Pete's family. Odd wallops, yeah. Um, who, uh, I just slaughtered this horse Tuesday. And they're eating it. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got the sassiest little, little child, boy. that boy. Yeah. Woo. He tries to shoot everybody when they show up and steals the car and cusses at them when they steal it back. Something so is and so is, I forget what he says. But yeah, that, oh, and that, you, you know, you brought up the Dust Bowl. That was a, uh, that scene in particular, the hog wallop scene, was definitely a, a good representation of that. I can remember my uh, my dad talking about his father living through it, mm. um, and so like your horse was a beast of burden. Like it was used to do jobs on the farm, and if you got so desperate that you had to slaughter your horse, yeah, you know you were in tough times, and that's what happened in that scene. Yeah. You know, it's you talk about it being like a colorful movie and uh, fun and fancy, uh, fancy free, but it was. When you slaughter your horse, that's yeah. desperate times. It does touch on some heavy stuff, but you'd miss it if you didn't know that. Yeah, like if you didn't know the history of it, you know, yeah. you, you just kind of laugh at it and move on. Like, oh, God, they're eating a horse. Yeah, but uh, that family was desperate yeah. uh, at that time, especially if they had slaughtered a horse, slaughtered their horse. So, yeah, they, and that's something that they do. Um, they balance. Like, their films, they're colorful and they're fun, but they're 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 black like they're they're black comedies yeah like they're they they go with some in, into some like really deep and dark territory sometimes <laughs> i remember tim blake nelson in an interview saying that this is the coen brothers probably least violent <laughs> <laughs> even though there's lots yeah. of guns blazing and you see a cow get shot up and a cow oh, murderer <laughs> yeah that baby face so like that cow scene is actually an odyssey moment uh, there's a there's a cow slaughtering scene in the Odyssey. Oh, okay. So that was actually a throw out, a throwback to the Odyssey. I read the Odyssey. Now we did touch on, I think, just the Iliad in high school. Oddly enough, that was all we really touched on. Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> we I know somewhere in there we we did some uh, classic Greek stuff, but I don't remember which one we did. Yeah, oddly enough, Homer. I had a what uh, was a pig named Homer. <laughs> I believe that might be the animal that uh, the dude gets turned into in the Odyssey, the pig. The pig. Yeah. Not a frog. Not a horny toad. (laughs) 
So yeah, the, the clan scene, um, man, that was a lot of big giant tangent. So like the, the clan scene, um, like I said, it intersects the narrative. You get the characters, and they're like wrapping things up at this point. Um, and like I said earlier, <laughs> it's modeled after. If you go back and watch the Wizard of Oz and go to that uh, the guard scene at the witch's uh, tower, that's that, it's, that clan scene's modeled after that. Yeah. So and then you, and then you wanted to talk about Ralph Stanley. Yeah. This is where you get to hear Ralph Stanley's voice coming out of. Uh, spoilers, Homer Stokes, who's the Grand Wizard. Yeah. Say, I mean, okay. With the context, we know what we're getting into here. But that scene of him standing there in his red robe saying, Oh, death. It's chilling. It is. It's haunting. Yeah, it's, it's definitely. Like, I remember getting the chills in the audience that first time I watched it. Yeah. And then, like, I watched it, like, four times in the theater. <laughs> and uh, every time, that, like, that moment, it... it uh, it's powerful. I mean, it's and it's powerful. more powerful because it's it's so controversial. I mean, it's the Klan. And it's Ralph Stanley, who sings gospel music all yeah. the time and is like an icon. <laughs> well, that and that song. And it had to be Ralph Stanley's voice. Oh, yeah. It yeah. had to. I got to see him play live on one of his last concerts. Oh, down, really? Down here in Moorhead, yeah. Wow. And he sang it. Uh, yeah. after, the, after the movie came out... Um, Every concert, that was one of the songs that people requested. So he just does it, like he just did it every set. He would sing Oh Death, and he did it just the, the acapella style. Wow. Yeah, and it's just as scary. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> seeing it live. His voice has such a quality to it. It was you. It, it almost so felt different. like like he was at death's door. Yeah. Like the way he's saying it, it sounded like like. Uh, he, he's not going to make it that you know another year, you know. Like, and that's a line in the song. You know, yeah. it's like he he sounds like he's on death's door, and that's what made it so chilling. Yeah. And it's what made it so chilling in that scene because you know, it, Tommy's going to get lynched, and Tommy's such yeah. a sweet character. Yeah, it's like of all the people in this film, he's the least deserving of any of the crap that is trying to be thrown at him. Yeah, all he did was sold his soul to the devil so he could play the guitar. Yeah. Like, Delmar knocked over Pickly Wiggly, you know, like, <laughs> he, like, they were criminals. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> they were in jail for a reason, but Tommy, you know, he just, he made a choice that didn't fit certain people's standards. Yeah, and so they just were because of how he was born. Yeah. It was worse for him. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then uh, that, I mean, like, they were gonna lynch him no matter what. It didn't matter if he sold a soul to the devil, you know, it was just based on the color of his skin. Because uh, it's the clan, you know, they, that was yeah. that was the only judgment they needed. But they tried to use, like, the selling the soul to the devil as a justification. Yeah. Yeah. That scene, I mean, I rewatched re it. I rewatched the movie last night. And I had totally forgotten about the clan scene. And, you know, it's so funny. When I was a child, you know, it's, it used to be, like, way more visible in media, the clan was. I didn't understand what it was. I didn't understand that it was a symbol of racism and hate. I just, I didn't know what it was. I thought that was just like, oh, these dudes, they secretly wear these sheets. It's like, it's like and... this, what is it, the Qantas? The, the like, Qantas Club? Yeah, it's like the Qantas Club. <laughs> <laughs> or, or the, oh God. the, uh, the Shriners, or it's just yeah. these little organizations with a bunch of guys get together. I thought it, that's what I thought, because I used to watch a lot of the Flintstones when I was a kid. I was like, that's like the Water Buffaloes. The Water Buffaloes. <laughs> I didn't understand. And when I finally like grew up and understood, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's terrible. That's terrifying. Um, 
But seeing it last night, you know, I totally forgot about that scene. And it was so impactful because there's so many people. And... Oh, man. Yeah, the extras in that scene. They hired a military group to come in and do that scene as the extras in the hoods. Uh, because they're they're used to standing in formation mm-hmm. and they could do the, the marches and stuff, right? Uh, half of those people were black. Like, they were, <laughs> they were black guys under yeah. those hoods. And I remember, like... Joel or Ethan or somebody saying, like, they could overhear one of the, the black dudes in the garb, like, looking at another black dude in the in the hood and going, like, this is the freakiest thing ever, man. <laughs> like, they just, like, they, they got a kick out of it because they knew they, they were in a safe place. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was a movie set. They're getting paid to do yeah. this. And it's dripping in satire. Yeah. So it was, um, it, it, it was, it would have been interesting to been on that set that night when they, <laughs> when they shot that. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, to me, the most, you know, the the best scenes are the performances. Oh, yeah. Not just when the music's playing, but when, like, a character is singing, and that scene with Ralph Stanley, of course. With Homer Stokes, yeah. But the performance scene towards the end with the fake beards and all the crazy dancing. Even before that, when uh, Delmar gets up and just starts singing in the jailhouse now. Yeah. (laughs) And that's actually uh, Tim Blake Nelson. He's one of the actual people... That was one of the characters that actually sang and made it onto the soundtrack. Yeah. Everybody else was had some kind of bluegrass singer or uh, actual yeah. performer with their voice. Yeah, Tim Blake Nelson that's actually sang. Only thing in the whole movie that took me out of it, but it is only because I've been a singer for so long, and I know people's voices. Oh yeah, the, like the the lip syncing part yeah, of it. Yeah, it just you tell they're lip syncing, and you know that's not their voice. You're like you you. It's like watching RuPaul's Drag Race. You know. Oh, the lip syncing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know that that's that pop singer, and someone's just lip syncing it. Well, yeah, like well, Clooney tried. Like, there's a story. I mean, like this. That's one of the most uh, well known stories of the movie. <laughs> was that George Clooney tried to sing A Man in Constant Sorrow mm. and butchered it. Just, oh, okay. He practiced for weeks and then he tried to... Like, <laughs> Bless his heart. <laughs> yeah, he, he practiced for weeks and uh, oh, so like T-Bone, it was T-Bone Burnett that actually produced the, the album, uh, Legendary Music Producer. Yeah. Um, and they had them and the Coens and they were behind the glass and they were like, go Clooney and he started, he sang A Man in Constant Sorrow, he sang it. Uh, he got finished. He gave the thumbs up through the glass. Nobody was making eye contact with him. So he like oh, walks God. into the studio. I was like, "Hey guys, let's uh, how did it go?" And they're like, "Yeah, it was it was okay." You, and then they they thought like, "Let's play it back. That way he can hear it, and then we're off the hook. He can see, hear how bad he butchered it." So they play it for him, and he's like, "Oh man, I screwed that up." But he didn't want to like lose confidence, lose face in front of him. He's like, "So guys, uh, you want to do it again?" <laughs> So, like, somebody kind of just broke it to him. It's like, yeah, we're going to have to find somebody else. And then they get, they, they get that Dan Tominsky to come in and yeah. do the song. So um, like, It had to be that way, though. Things yeah, work out the way be. they're supposed to. Yeah, it had to be that way. You know, the only, the only other movie I can think of that had a soundtrack that I loved so much is Juno. And they both huh. have that, like, really folky, like, when I think of movie soundtracks, I think of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I think of like some like old school stuff because they used to always have a movie soundtrack. That's not much of a thing anymore. Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, that one. That that music was integral to that too, though. But it wasn't really like made for it. No. It was all classic stuff. But Juno was because Kimya Dawson from the Moldy Beaches. She did almost the entire 
the entire thing. And she took a lot of her own songs and did like these little mini versions of them for transition scenes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Brilliant. But yeah. I mean, that's the gist of the movie, but then it comes, that, that, the ending is, obviously the ending is the most important part, but <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, things that everybody already knows. But there's so, it's so just soaked in symbolism. That whole ending is like you get you get this weird redemption. There's no sense of justice that makes any sense in this movie whatsoever to me. Because I mean, yeah, they kind of redeem themselves, but you know, they they really get off the hook with all of their, you know, escaping from prison. And the only one who really I feel gets their just desserts is the corrupt politician who is leader of the clan. Yeah, he gets uh, ran ran out of town on a rail. I know it's one like that was one that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Because it's like the townspeople. It's it's like if you if I was I want to imagine that this is the case historically. Every town square or courthouse or wherever they're doing like these kind of like the political event that they were doing, mm-hmm. people just had a rail sitting outside. Because when he, when Homer Stokes like reveals that he was part of a secret society that you don't need to name, mm-hmm. and he starts getting like the vegetables, and that's something else. People had vegetables ready. To throw, <laughs> yeah. to throw at people because he gets like cabbage and tomato on him. And then here comes the guys marching in with a rail to put him on to ride him out. And I want to imagine like every town had a rail outside the door yeah. just waiting for somebody to screw up <laughs> so they could throw him on there and ride him out. Because that was so beautiful how they were just there with it. Yeah. Well, they, uh, they, were, they were with the governor, yes. Yep. Governor. I may have said mayor earlier. Yeah, it was a governor. It was gubernatorial. <laughs> the... The guy who's re, you know, rerunning for... Yeah, Pappy. He... Pappy yeah, He's like an asshole. And he gets no repercussions ever. <laughs> ever. Where he takes his hat, you son of a bitch, and just hits everybody. <laughs> yeah. And never gets any repercussions. And then when he's, you know, he's like, oh, if I befriend Soggy Bottom Boys... I oh, yeah, he's totally left. scheming. He was there to scheme. Like, he was there trying to poach Homer Stokes' people... Like he was trying to get Waldrip, who was uh, Penny's the guy he was she was wanting to marry. Fiance. Yeah, <laughs> the fiance. Yeah, um, he was trying to poach him to work on his campaign. So then he just like he poaches the soggy bottom boys. He's just a lucky asshole. Is what he is. And he had a song. Yeah. He had a song. Uh, is it "You Are All My Sunshine"? Is was that his song? Yeah, "You Are the Sun." You are my oh, sunshine. Oh yeah, yeah. He makes yeah. everyone. He's. Yep. Lead us in a verse. Yes. Of, yeah. And this is where Everett, being you know the the, the fast talker, smart yep. guy that he yep. is, really comes in because he knows. Yes, we got to do whatever this guy says because otherwise we're screwed. The brain trust. Yes. We're going to be the brain trust. And when he says we're, he's going to, they're going to lead us in. in you are my sunshine, yep. aren't you guys? Or however he said it. Yep. They're like, yep. yes, we are. Anything aren't you say, you sir. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure somewhere in there, Everett says that he's in prison for uh, uh, malpractice of a, being a lawyer or something. Like he didn't have a license, but he was he was like being a lawyer. And he didn't have a license, <laughs> so like, that totally fits the character. You know, like the fast talking. Yeah, that's yeah. what you have to be to be a lawyer. You got to be uh, confident mm-hmm. in everything that you say, and he totally is. So yeah, he was. Um, he totally picked up on what Pappy was saying. Oh yeah. 
And the only person who swindled, like really, really swindled him through the whole movie was someone just like him, like John Goodman's character. Ben Teague. Beat yeah. the hell out of him. The Cyclops. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He had the eye patch. Oh, that, that's another Odyssey thing. Uh, he, the Odyssey, the the Cyclops gets the, dispatched with a flaming pole, like in the in the Odyssey. Oh yeah. And, and then that, that yeah. flag is. They is, do reference it. Yeah, they throw the flag up there and. You think um, it's coming for him. Yeah, but he grabs it, but then the the hot cro- the flaming cross comes down on yeah. top of it, so it's a flaming pole that <laughs> ends up dispatching the, the. But not to get you know too much too far back into that that scene where you realize it's him because he's only got one eye hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was great. Another good attention to detail. Mm. Okay, so we need to wrap it up a little bit. So here's where I want to end it. I want to talk about the symbolisms we got. So, on the podcast, I talk a lot about how the way um, the way a viewer perceives art, that meaning is just as important. Oh, yeah. that's that's uh, I talked about that in my film class. Yeah. It's like once once a piece of art leaves the artist's hands, it becomes the, the, uh, the viewer. Yeah. Like, it's their art now. Yes. So, they get to interpret it. And that meaning is just as valid as the yeah. and intended by the artist. Yep, yep. And I think in a film like this, there are so many symbolisms that we could just pick up on our own. If you weren't going by, you know, the Odyssey and, and knowing all the stuff you know about the Coen Brothers, what what kind of stuff did you take away from it personally? So, um, when I was, the, upon first viewing, it was totally just aesthetic pleasure. Yeah, because it's um, beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's, it's gorgeous, it's fun, and the music's there and all that. But now, you know, it's 20 years old, and I'm 20 years older. Um, you know, I'm now at that age where, like, wherever it was. And it's it's totally a journey. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, that's, and that's, you know, that's what the Odyssey is all about as well. It's, mm-hmm. and, and I can't, I can't separate the two. Yeah. And I mean, like they are so similar. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a journey film. Um. And I'm a big fan of the Joseph Campbell hero's journey mm-hmm. uh, idea. Um, I like those stories. That's why I'm a fan of the like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and and, and Avengers and all this nerd shit. Because that's all they're all that classical Joseph Campbell's a hero's journey. Somebody that's 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 not <laughs> they're kind of plucked out of their normal life. Yeah, and then dropped into these crazy, these this crazy scenario. You have these colorful characters that help you along the way, or try to throw you off that journey. Mm-hmm. So to, that's what that's what Old Brother War Art Thou is. It's it's one of those hero's journey where, um, even though Everett's not the most sympathetic character, mm-hmm. um, he still he's you know this is what he knows as life. Mm-hmm. But then he goes on this really weird journey. And he grows yeah. like. And you root for him. Yeah, you totally root for him. And, and that's the biggest part of the hero's journey is the hero grows. Yeah. He matures. He's a 40-year-old man that's going on this, this journey. That, and that's what life is. Like, if you're not, if you're in your 40s and 50 years old and you're still not taking life's journey and learning from it yeah. and growing as a person, you're failing at life. Mm-hmm. And that's what uh, Old Brother is an example. Most of the time, it's a young guy or a young yeah. woman. Um, in Star Wars, it's Luke Skywalker. He's 17, 18 years old. You know, here you have a forty-year-old guy that's escaped prison, getting a second chance, getting a second chance. That's kind of more powerful to me. Yeah, the second chance aspect of it. I guess I kind of have two interpretations of it. Because first time I watched, it, I was a child. <laughs> I was an actual child, and 
I was, I saw it as, I mean, yeah, it's, I identified with it because I, I see a lot of those people. Oh, like, yeah. They're so yeah. similar to people I know sometimes. Yeah, totally, totally. I got that. Uh, and it was just the topical story of he's trying to go back to his family and he mm-hmm. wants to get his wife back and all that. Because I didn't know what he was back then. Yeah. <laughs> but as an adult seeing it, it seems like, I mean, there's obvious satire that everyone's going to see and everyone's going to pick up on. But to me, it is a story of this is what life is. Sometimes you get second chances. Sometimes it's fair. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes people get their just desserts. Sometimes they don't. Oh, a good example of that would be the very last scene. Well, not the very, very last scene, but the scene before last. They got pardoned by Pappy, but then they get to the cabin, yes. and there's Satan. You know, there's the there's yes. the, the Lucifer character that. who's going to hang them anyway. Yeah, it didn't matter. Sometimes it doesn't matter. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't matter. And that's just life. And Tough then, shit. <laughs> and then like the 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 water comes and you know saves them, and that was just totally like happenstance. You know, like it. It was just like this natural disaster kind of thing. I mean, they were building the lake, mm-hmm. but it in the movie it looks just like a tsunami. Yeah, you just know, out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, you see a couple little streams of, of trickles water of water in yeah. the dirt, and that here it comes. And that's what saves them. And that's actually that's another Odyssey moment. Odysseus escapes on a he gets just about grounds, yeah. and he's floating on a piece of wood, and that's where that's how Everett survives. Yeah. I think, I mean, to me, it's just a story of this is what, this really is what life is. Sometimes you get saved by this natural disaster. Sometimes you just get saved by some asshole who wants your help. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you will not find the treasure that you seek. Yeah. But you still get a treasure. And sometimes the treasure you seek wasn't what you needed, no way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That awesome. sounds like a good ending. That's a solid ending. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. You're welcome so much. <laughs> does there any like i usually if i have a guest i make them plug something you got anything you want to plug at all or i wish i had something to plug <laughs> uh, if you're if you're uh, 18 years old and come into more state take my comms 108 class or my film 170 class <laughs> okay there we go <laughs> and hopefully look for them in more podcast episodes thanks for tuning in do you need more weird in your life join our facebook group for pics behind the scenes and all the possum memes your sweet little heart can handle like Weird Appalachia on all social media and keep an eye out for our upcoming video projects on Facebook and YouTube. And until next time, keep Appalachia weird.